all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Arthur Schopenhauer. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I am welcoming you once again to Restoration History. All right, I am back, and it is a cold day in November. We're just dealing with the first little dusting of snow on the ground. The sun is hidden, which it's been mostly hidden for the last few weeks, so I'm (laughs) not enjoying this onset of winter, but it is a part of the seasons and times, and so I'm going to just go with it and find as much brightness and joy as I possibly can. Pardon me for getting this out a little bit late, but we definitely had some other priorities that had to be dealt with this week. I am definitely excited about this week because I'm delving a little bit more into the whole concept of the Constitution and what it means for us and what it was intended to do, how it was intended to set up the federal government and how it was intended to protect and preserve our rights. So I'm really excited. So the quote that I said earlier, uh, talking about truth being ridiculed and violently opposed and third being accepted as self-evident, I want to get into that a little bit more and kind of evaluate the, the progression of how truth is Uh, disseminated to the masses. But um, before that, I just wanted to just deal a little bit more. We'll go uh, into the distant past. Pontius Pilate famously asked once, what is truth? Before washing his hands and handing the Messiah off to a raging mob for crucifixion. He later went mad with power and corruption and was lost to the annals of time as the Roman leader responsible for killing Christ. Ironically enough, the answer to his question was standing right in front of him in chains and bloodied by the scourge of his Roman soldiers. This is what happens when the truth is ignored, when it is ridiculed, when it is violently opposed. The problem is is that too many people stop at the ridicule and the violent opposition to truth because they don't want to hear it. They wash their hands of the truth because one, it's too painful Two, it uh, cuts to the heart of a person's faults and foibles and calls them out, calls them to the table to take a stand. And three, wouldn't it be better to just remain in blissful ignorance and you don't have to actually deal with the responsibility of what the truth gives you? That's where I've lived for most of my life, where I knew the truth. Um, I didn't ridicule it. I didn't violently oppose it in any manner, but I chose to not do anything with the truth. And that is a dangerous place to be for a citizen of the United States of America, for a citizen of the world, because if we choose to not just stand in opposition to it or ridicule it, we choose to remain silent when the truth is evident, self-evident. We are responsible for how the next generation not only sees the truth, but also for how they act on it. Truth is absolute. There is an absolute truth in this universe. Jesus Christ is the absolute truth. He stated it very plainly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the absolute truth. And everything about him was learn of me, do what I do, say what I say, live how I live. And he went to the cross for it. Because as the divine son of God who had the claim that he was 
the way, the truth, and the life. He knew that the truth is worth dying for, is worth fighting for. And he followed that to its absolutely logical conclusion and he went to the cross for it. So we might not ever be asked to go to a theoretical cross for defending and standing for the truth, but we will be mocked, we will be ridiculed, and we may even be violently opposed. Does that mean that we stop and wash our hands of it? Absolutely not. You know, it's interesting, after World War II ended, there was this overarching idea that, well, we fought two bloody wars, global wars, so that our children wouldn't have to. The problem is, that's not true. We are not fighting wars or fighting battles in order to preserve peace for the next generation. We are fighting battles in order to preserve liberty for the next generation, which means that every generation has to fight that same battle. Now, it again, it doesn't always end up in a bloody, costly, devastating war, but there is going to be a constant battle to preserve and protect our liberties and freedoms, as we can see even now in states across the country who are fighting to mandate what you put in your children's bodies for medical reasons. They're fighting to make abortion a across-the-board thing where you can murder the life of your unborn child up until the moment that you are giving birth. They're fighting to try to expand government reach into the very private lives and businesses of people based on the fact that they don't like that person's religious, religious convictions. These are all liberties that have been given to us by God, freedoms and rights that have been given to us by God to preserve and protect not only ourselves, but the generations that come after us, the unborn children who are unable to protect themselves. We're supposed to be fighting for the liberties of the defenseless. We're supposed to be fighting for the rights and freedoms that God gave us from the beginning of time and not allowing the government to tell us which rights and freedoms we are allowed by their mandates, by their legislation. That is not okay. We're going back to exploring the idea that the Constitution was not a document that gave the federal government the right to legislate our rights and freedoms. It was a document that set up in place protections and the ability for a government of the people, by the people, and for the people to defend and protect those rights, both against foreign and domestic enemies. This is where we're at. And the truth of the matter is, is that we have, for many decades, giving up ground to these rights and liberties that we keep letting the government think that they own them, they grant them, and they can take them away. So this is the untruth that we are trying to battle back with the truth. I was reading um, the Federalist Papers. Actually, I was reading a couple books by Mark Levin, a great author. I strongly recommend that you read him. And one of the books that I was delving into was talking about the powers that are delegated by the Constitution for the federal government. And they went into the Federalist Papers, which is basically a collection of articles and arguments for the ratification of the Constitution. It was a way to convince the people that the Constitution was 
a good document, a solid document founded on good principles and a way to assure the people that their rights and privileges and their liberties that were given by God were not going to be abused by the federal government. Again, we go back into this idea that the federal government never was allowed the right to legislate what was given to us by God. Anyway, Mark Levin wrote a book called The Liberty Amendments, and I've been reading it slowly because there's just a lot of information in there, and some of it's kind of, I would say it's kind of more of a, I don't want to say legal jargon, but it, it's, you've got to process it. It takes a little bit of time to process, but it, I highly recommend it anyway. He talks about the amendments that we should be um, fighting for in a something called an Article 5 convention that would call us, call the federal government back to account and basically limit their powers to, to once again only those enumerated in the Constitution. He mentions in one of the chapters, Federalist Paper 45. So I was reading that because I wanted to get a little bit of a handle on what the actual Federalist Paper was talking about and how it connected. And it's just really interesting. I wish I could read the whole thing and that would be the end of our episode for today, but I'm going to just pull out a few things. Um, he was addressing, again, the what he calls the adversaries of this convention um, who were trying to come up with the Constitution. They were the anti-federalists who were fighting against the idea that we needed this constitution to continue the United States of America. And there was just a whole bunch of um, political stuff going on at the time. And he talks about the state governments versus the federal governments and what each of those sections of government had jurisdiction over. So I'm just going to pull out a few of the, the things that he talks about. He says, the state governments, and sorry, this is James Madison speaking, may be regarded as constituent and essential parts of the federal government, whilst the latter is no wise essential to the operation or organi organization of the former. Without the intervention of the state legislatures, the president of the United States cannot be elected at all. So what he's basically saying there, and he goes into it a little bit more in detail, but he's basically saying that the state governments are the parent and are essential to how the federal government runs. Federal government really is not essential to the operation of the, of the state governments. So the federal government has no rights to come into the state governments and say, this is how you run your state. They have absolutely no rights in that way. The problem is, is we have topsy-turvy that. We've flipped it on its head and we've said that the federal government is the essential one and the state governments are basically the child um, being told what to do by the federal government. That's not how the Constitution was written. The number of individuals, he says, employed under the Constitution of the United States will be much smaller than the number employed under the particular states. You take one look at the myriad administrative entities, offices, all of the different legislative areas in our federal government, and you can very easily see that has flipped on its head. We have so many people employed by the federal government on all levels of United States that it's absolutely ridiculous. The, the funding for these administrative offices and all of these different entities is bankrupting our country and has been for a very long time. What we've done is we have taken the Constitution and we have obliterated it by trying to bloat the federal government to such a degree that it, it has its fingers in literally every aspect of our lives and 
the federal government has basically taken over the parenting role instead of the states going, uh-uh, no, no, you sit down. <laughs> we run this show. We run this country. You answer to us. So that's what's going on there. He continues on a little bit later. He says, the powers delegated by the proposed con constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on ex external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, with which last the power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. So what he's saying there is that the powers that have been delegated by the Constitution to the federal government, their enumerated powers, they have been written down very clearly, and the federal government has absolutely no rights out to go outside of those powers. They have written down very clearly in every one of the articles of the Constitution what powers the legislative branch has, what powers the executive branch has, what powers the judicial branch has. Those are the only three branches of the federal government. There is no fourth enumerated in the Constitution. It is just those three branches. And those three branches have been written into the Constitution exactly what level of power they have and where that power resides and how that power is supposed to be practiced throughout the United States. And then the states have all of the rest of it. Every individual state has its own government that is run within its borders, and that government is the one that is set up to deal with the internal issues of the state. The Constitution literally tells the federal government, you have no power to legislate, to regulate, or anything within the states themselves, and you have no power over the rights and liberties of the, of the American citizens. All you have to do is protect their rights and liberties, promote their general welfare, which means the general welfare of the whole United States. The general welfare is talking about what benefits every single member of the United States of America. And I'm talking about the legal citizens who live under this flag. That is the general welfare. And then after that, they are to protect and defend us against the foreign enemies. That is their role. Taxation comes into it. And again, it is very much written into the Constitution exactly how they are to tax us and how they are not to tax us. But that taxation is written in there to give them the funding to do those very, very specific roles of protecting and defending our rights. Everything else, as far as laws are concerned, as far as regulations are concerned, as far as how states deal with private matters within their borders, that is for the state governments. What we have done is we have allowed the federal government to flip that. And the states have very, very few powers now that they have full control over to regulate and to make laws and to all, all of that. And now the federal government is the one that is stepping into every aspect of an American citizen's life and saying, this is how you get to live. And so, yeah, we have done a really, really poor job of checking that power. So he continues with that concept and says the operations of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger. 
those of the state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage over the federal government. The more adequate indeed that the federal powers may be rendered to the national defense, the less frequent will be those scenes of danger which might favor their ascendancy over the governments of the particular states. So did you hear that? What he is saying, what James Madison is saying is that the federal government is going to be at the height of its power during times of war and danger to the United States. So what he's saying is that when the United States is at war or in danger from outside powers trying to come in and destroy us, the federal government will be at the height of its power. They have the most power when we're in danger. When we are at peace... As in the day-to-day living, we're not at war, we don't have dangers coming in from the outside, we are in the hands of the state government. The state governments then have the, the height, are at the height of their power because they're the ones who are responsible for maintaining that peace, for giving us the ability to live and, and move and interact and, and all of that and, and be in community when we're not at war. So that is what they're saying is that the the only time that the federal government has more power than the states is when we are at war and the entire nation is at risk of losing itself or in danger from from foreign entities that are coming in and trying to attack us and divide us. Later on in the the end of the Federalist 45, James Madison basically makes the remark that the new constitution of 1787 was not being proposed to add new powers to a federal government, to bloat the federal government. What it was doing was enumerating the powers that it already had from the Articles of Confederation and limiting it, almost in a sense lessening Because at that point, the Articles of Confederation gave a whole lot of free reign to the federal government, and it was causing a lot of problems, which is why they called the convention to begin with, because they knew that they could not continually sustain their American nation on the Articles of Confederation. There was just too much unsaid, unwritten, and there was a lot of room for finding loopholes, for abusing power. And so what they did was they scrapped the Articles of Confederation, and they decided to rewrite their constitution in order to limit the scope of the federal government to the specific powers that the federal government was going to be best at performing. Fast forward to where we're at now. That is obviously not at all where the federal government is at. They have so stripped the constitution of its original intent that they have found loopholes and reinterpretations and misinterpretations of the Constitution to such a degree that there's really only one possible way that we can can curb that, that we can fix that problem and bring our nation back to the original intent of the Constitution, which is that the federal government is to protect and preserve our rights and liberties, defend our borders, and and promote our general general welfare excuse me and then our state governments have jurisdiction over all the rest of it so that's you know the states have the right to figure out how they want their roads situated how they want their sidewalks measured out how they want their utilities regulated and all of that stuff those are powers of the state the problem that we have now is that the federal government has written itself into every single aspect of our lives and is now so bloated 
that the only way that we can counteract it would be to call another uh, convention, this time not through Congress, who has obviously shown that they are unable and unwilling to curb their own power, but to call the states to account and say, hey, you guys are the parents of the federal government, and it's time for you to act like it, which means that we have to go back to the Constitution and find in a little-known article, Article 5, and use that constitutional right against the federal government because that is the only way that we're going to be able to preserve and protect our freedoms and liberties for the next generations. We have seen the gross abuse of power. We have seen what the welfare state has done to devastate our economy. We're seeing more and more what the federal government is doing to undermine the basic foundational principles of families, of human life, the sanctity of human life, our abilities as human individuals to self-govern in all aspects of our personal lives. And this is not a Democrat thing. This is not a Republican thing. This is an American citizen thing. And this is something that if we don't stand up as a nation of we the people, we will not have an America to fight for because our government has proven time and time again progressively throughout the years, throughout the last few decades, that they are absolutely incapable of governing themselves. Interestingly enough, just a few Federalist Papers past the one I just read from, Federalist 51, James Madison again talks about the idea of how to protect the people from the power of the government, the over overreaching power of the government. And it, it talks about because it, there were people who were concerned about the different branches of government having power, too much power over the others and so on and so forth. He says, the great security against a gradual concentration of the several powers in the same department consists in giving to those who administer each department the necessary constitutional means and personal motives to resist encroachments of the others. Now, did you hear that? Constitutional means and personal motives. So basically he's saying there is the constitutional way that we resist the encroachment of others, right? The, the encroachment of others in, into our own personal realm of power. But at the same time, they also have to have a personal motive in order to resist those powers. Because just having a constitution, as we can see, is not enough. We have to have the personal motive, the individual motive, that tells us fighting against the encroachment of, of other powers is necessary. So he goes on to talk about that. And so many people just butcher this quote by him. They'll take it out of context and they'll throw it in there just to, to put in their own spin on why they think that the Constitution is fine, why they think the federal government is fine and all that stuff. He says, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. And this is where people usually stop. They say, oh, well, you know, men aren't perfect and so they need a government. That's why the federal government is doing everything it can to make sure that it legislates in every area of your life because you are not an angel, you're not perfect, and so you can't be trusted. I absolutely despise that argument because he goes on to say, <laughs> if angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, 
The great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. A dependence on the people is, no doubt, the primary control on the government, but experience has taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary precautions. So what it is saying is, yes, men are not angels. They need to be governed. However, governments are also known, because they are run by men, <laughs> they are known to abuse their power. And so we need to set into place the idea that the people have control of the government that they create and that they run. This is where it comes into play. It's not that we don't trust men, although that is a part of it. Yes, we do not trust all men to be integrity-driven, honest, upright individuals all of the time. We are human beings. We are fallible. That is how this works. The problem is, is when we tell our people, our, our constituents in, you know, our officials tell us that, oh, well, you guys can't be trusted to run yourselves, to govern yourselves. <laughs> and so just let us take care of it. We've got you. We're going to watch over you. We're going to make sure you know what's right and wrong and how to do it and when to do it and why to do it and all that stuff. This is so dangerous because that removes the last check on a federal government, on a government at all, by saying that the people themselves who created the government are not to be trusted at all. So if the people who created the government were not to be trusted then who do we trust? Because the federal government has proven time and time again, it can't be trusted. We are not angels. We are men. At the same time, we are also responsible to check the government that we put in place. And the founding fathers knew that, and so they wrote out in the Constitution exactly how we, the people, could keep our government in check and at the same time, allow our government to govern us. That is the beauty of the Constitution, is that it is a, a document that was put in place by imperfect, uh, fallible men, and yet with the checks and balances needed and necessary for the governed to govern themselves and for the government itself to be governed by the people. I love that. It's just that that is exactly what we need to be focusing on. So what the Constitution put into place was if Congress, if the federal government, if the different branches of government have gotten themselves into a, a situation where they refuse to adhere to their own Constitution, then it is the right and the responsibility of the people to counter that and to say enough is enough. We, the people are in charge. All right, I think that's a great place to end. I would love to hear your feedback. If you want to get a hold of me with questions or critiques or reviews, let me know at restorationdynasty at gmail.com. I am also on Restoration Dynasty on Facebook, and there are going to be more ways to get a hold of me at some point down the road, but we're just, we're still working our way into it. So if you enjoyed this, please let me know. I would love to interact with you in a as many ways as possible. And I would love to take your questions. So join me again next time for a continuation of this conversation. God bless you and have a great week.